I know, I know and, and realize that different people have different uh, makeups and, and the ways that we're put together. We're all wired differently, but I love when we come together and like with one voice proclaim songs like, like that, uh, that song. Don't you? I mean, some of you. Don't some of you love that? Like when we proclaim it together? Yeah. I just love this, this concept of the church being a community that gathers to, to remember, to proclaim, to become, you know, to become what he's called us to, to become together as a community. And I, I think I often try to remind us of this, I try to remind myself of this, that we're not alone, like that, that millions of, of followers of Jesus gather each and every Sunday with this one thing in mind, to lift him up, right? To, to be reminded of what's most important. And so, uh, like we... We aren't just bound by these, these walls, like the brick and mortar of this place, but we're, we're standing together with Christians around our city, but also around the world. Uh, we, we made a commitment this year as a church. Uh, we, when we sat down, we realized that we weren't, we weren't engaged in missions at a level that we wanted to be globally, and, and so we picked a couple areas, uh, some of you don't know this, but we picked a couple areas that we wanted really to up our, our commitment and our connection. And one of those um, that, that we committed to was, was Egypt. And we have uh, a partner in Egypt, uh, Kenning Kelly Oldham, uh, who have been here, and they've, they've shared with us before, and we just felt like that was one place that's a very difficult place to be a Christian, and we felt like that's somewhere that we wanted to, to partner and to join with them in the ministry that they were doing. And Ken does so many things around uh, Egypt, but also the Middle East and, and Northern Africa. And... Um, this morning, uh, I saw he, he kind of connected with some of us and, and, and let us know about the bombings that took place um, as, as, as a couple churches gathered together, the Coptic church in, in Egypt, and two churches were bombed. And um, so uh, we together are, um, are standing with them, and we are partners with them, and so we're going to do whatever we can uh, really to walk with them through a very tragic moment. And, uh, and we'll reach out to Ken, and if there's things that we can do as a church, we'll, we'll definitely um, partner with them. But this week, as you think about Easter and the salvation uh, that we have in Christ, that death is not the end, remember those families that lost loved ones. There's, there's, right now, I think they said over 60 people were killed in those bombings in, in Egypt. And, uh, and, and so lift them up in your prayers uh, this week, those families, those church communities. Um, I'm so thankful that we live in a place where we're not, we don't have to, be fearful about that, but we want to be mindful that there are brothers and sisters that do have to think about that every single week. So that was one of the places. The other place that we, we made a conscious decision to invest more, and, and we wanted to do this partly as we were building this, this new building, um, was in Lebanon. And Heart for Lebanon is our ministry partner there, and uh, we, we as a church, alongside a couple other, a number of other churches, are helping to build a new ministry center that is 10 miles from the Syrian border. So you talk about one of the most dangerous places in the world right now, uh, right there in the Middle East and Syria. And so in the Bekaa Valley of Lebanon, we're helping build this ministry center um, that takes in just, I mean, an overwhelming number of refugees who are leaving both Syria and Iraq right now. And uh, so we're partnered with them, and uh, we stand together with them. Aren't you thankful that we're a church that can, can do these different things? Um, and we're going we're to continue to do that and, and, and stretch ourselves. So um, this morning, it's, it's Palm Sunday, and I was wrestling with like the traditional Palm Sunday message, and we thought about having palm branches that we could like wave and throw at each other and have darts and things like that. Um, I, I wanna, what I want to do today is I want to tell you a bigger story. 
that includes Palm Sunday. But only if you can go with me. Can you go with me on this? All right? And um, so half of you are with me, half of you aren't. I'm going to see if I can pull you in anyways. It's like a test, isn't it? You guys are like taunting me now. So here's the deal. I'm going to tell you a big story. And to get there, it will involve you. You'll, you'll, we'll get you into the mix as well. But to get there, um, I want to show you this painting. You already know about this painting. This painting is kind of our ending place uh, today, but it's one that actually pulls us in as well. You already know this painting. It's called The Last Supper, and it was painted by Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio. Uh, Some of you were like on that, weren't you? You were like on the edge of, I think it's Da Vinci, but DiCaprio sounds right. Um, painted in the, in the 1400s, right? By, by Leonardo Da Vinci, and he painted it in Milan, Italy, and this is uh, kind of a mural on a wall in a convent in, in Milan, Italy. Now, um, what's interesting about this painting is it has stood the test of time. Uh, soon after this was, was completed, because of the kind of paint that Da Vinci used, and because of the humidity of this region in the world, um, the, the, the paint began to fade and flake. And within a hundred years, there were many people who said uh, the, the faces were unrecognizable around the table. Like you couldn't even tell exactly um, who and what he had painted <clears throat> and specifics. Uh, not many years after that, uh, someone actually cut a door into the wall because the painting was completely unrecognizable. So on the bottom of the painting, you'll see what looks like a header from a door. That actually is a door that they cut into this wall. Now, in today's world, looking back, you're like, that is the most ridiculous thing, that someone would cut a door into a painting by Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, why would anyone do that? I told you I'd get some of you with me. Um, why would anybody do that? They realized eventually what they had done, and they kind of put it back together, and they tried to get it. And then, and then they begin to think, okay, we need to pr protect this, because we think there's some significance here. So what they did is they put up a curtain to protect the painting. Uh, what they failed to understand in that day was that if you put up a curtain, a fabric curtain, it actually holds the humidity and moisture within it, and it made it worse. It began to flake even worse than it had before. Um, and so they had to bring in uh, an expert in restoration, and he came in, and he began to try to restore it, but he made things worse. And then they decided to bring in another expert who was kind of unknown, but he was an expert at taking a fresco off a wall and moving it and putting it into another location. And so he came in and he began to try to remove the painting from the wall, and it was only after a little bit of time that he realized it's actually not a fresco and it can't be removed from the wall, and so he got some duct tape and began to tape it back together, but he even made things worse. And then, during the French Revolution, uh, troops came in and they actually used this room as a prison. And the prisoners would look at this painting, and, and the guards would come in, and it says that some of the, uh, the French guards that would come in would actually throw stones at the painting, and they'd put ladders up, and they would go up, and they began to try to scratch the eyes out of the disciples. They taunted the painting. Years after that, after trying all of these things to try to preserve this painting that would not go away, but yet would not come to life, uh, a war began, World War II. And World War II, Allied for forces began to move into this area, and this convent uh, knew that, that destruction could come, and so they tried to build some walls that would protect this wall. 
from any kind of bombs that may hit or any kind of destruction that might come. And uh, I think it was like in, in the 40s when a bomb struck the convent and almost every wall fell except for this one. It stood. And finally in the 70s, we think they knew what they were doing. They came in and they began to restore the painting and we have what we have today. Now I think there's all kinds of significance. Now, the, the reality is this painting uh, bears no resemblance of the Last Supper in terms of how it actually would have been set up. It would not have been set up this way. They didn't have tables like this. They wouldn't have sat in chairs. They would have sat and reclined on the ground. There are all kinds of uh, probably differences of, of what actually took place. But I think there's this, this unbelievable truth that, that maybe we could gain from this, 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 this painting that in Christ and what Christ accomplished, what he was like doing on this evening, but then what this evening would lead to, brings about restoration for those of us who would be open to it. And, and the incredible mistakes we make in our lives, Jesus has a way of holding those things together. You know what I mean? Like, like this story, the Easter story, um, the story that I, that I want to tell you that goes back long before this evening even happened, um, that if we will allow it to, it begins to hold us together and put pieces back together in our lives. So the story of this night, the Last Supper, began more than 2,000 years before the Last Supper took place. And it began with a man named Abraham. Now most of us know who I'm talking about when I say Abraham. You've heard of Abraham, right? In the, the biblical sense. Abraham is a well-known guy. Uh, Abraham believed that God was talking to him, and he believed that God actually called him to leave his family and his homeland and go to a place, and God literally said, go to a place that I will show you. Now, that seems like a pretty fearful thing, right? So I'm just supposed to leave everything I know, and eventually I'll show up somewhere, and you'll tell me when I'm there, and God said, yes, I want you to do this, Abraham. And so it says that Abraham took a step of faith, he stepped out on faith, and he began to go to the place that God would tell him. Abraham finds himself in present-day Israel. He finds himself there, and God says, this is the land that I will give you and to give to all of your descendants. He begins this, this covenant process. This, this process, God begins this process of promising Abraham what will come in the future. And in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15, we have the, the foundation of this promise. God says, listen, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and you in turn will be a blessing to others. In fact, your your descendants will be so numerous that you won't even be able to count them. And Abraham looks and, and he says, God, I'm an old man. And um, you probably shouldn't say this to your wife, but he says, God, my wife is old as well. <laughs> she cannot have children. It's way beyond the time to have children. And God calls Abraham to go outside. And he says, Abraham, look up into the night sky. He says, Abraham, listen, I'm telling you, I am God and I will do this. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And if you can imagine uh, no light pollution and Abraham uh, sensing that he's hearing God's voice and he's standing out under the night sky in this vast array of, of stars and, and God saying, Abraham, if you will trust me, I will bring this to pass. Abraham, like many of us, probably scratched his head and he said, God, that... I'm emotional, that feels awesome, I think you're talking to me, good. How am I to know 
that what you have promised me will actually take place. And God tells Abraham a really strange thing. This is one of those strange pieces in the Old Testament that maybe you've read and you kind of skip by because you, like me, are like, what in the world does that have to do with anything? God says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to go and I want you to get a heifer and a goat and a ram. And then I want you to get a pigeon and a dove. And I want you to cut them in half. You know, you know what's really strange? Is that Abraham knew exactly what God was talking about, and he did exactly what God called him to do. Abraham goes out and he finds these five animals, and he cuts them from head to tail, literally in half. And Abraham lays these carcasses, these dead bodies that have been cut in half, beside each other in a little area that kind of became a trough, where the blood flew, flowed down out of the animals and it, and, it, and it flowed into this trough. Now most of us in today's world look at that and we read that and we think, that is the strangest thing I've ever read in my life. Now if, if I was going to enter into a contract with you and I wanted to buy a house and you were going to provide the money that I needed to buy a house, it's called, in our world, it's called a um, mortgage, very good. Um, just trying to see if you're with me. Mortgage, it's called a mortgage. And you're going to loan me money for my house. Um, the collateral on this, this deal is the, not a trick question, it's the house. Some of you need to read your mortgage if you're not sure, because you probably have your house. It's collateral, right? So there's a deal, and the way that we seal this deal in our world today is that we sign our names on the contract. You know what I'm talking about? Are you with me? Yes? That's a contract. That's a present-day contract. In the ancient world, this is how a contract happened, a covenant happened. They would take an animal, they would cut it in half, they would lay it on the ground so that the blood would flow together. And then each party of the contract would walk between the, the dead slices of the animal in the blood. It sounds kind of gross, doesn't it? This is what they did in the ancient world. It's, maybe if we instituted this, it would change the way we borrow money. Anyway, <laughs> they um, sliced animals, lay it down. Some of the mortgage guys in the room are going, no, that's not a good idea. Um, so, so they would walk in between the animals. And as they did, the blood would splatter on their feet and on their robes. And what they were saying by doing this symbolically is they were saying, if I do not live up to my end of the bargain, may it be done to me as has been done to these animals. In other words, if I don't do what I said I'm going to do, then you can take my life. I'm putting my life on it. Now, that's a big deal, isn't it? Um, I've, I've you know, counseled a lot of uh, couples as they're kind of stepping into marriage and I've suggested we do this in a wedding ceremony, but nobody, nobody yet. Something about the white dress, and I don't want to do that. Anyway, um, this is how they sealed a, a, a covenant, a contract in the ancient world. And this is why Abraham knew exactly what God had called him to do. To go out and get these five animals, to cut them in half and to lay them down. Now, if you go and read Genesis chapter 15, it says that after Abraham did this, um, he hadn't walked through the animals yet, but it says that he sat down. And depending upon what translation you're reading of the Bible, it says that he like fell into a deep sleep or a deep darkness fell over him, which I think it, what it really means is it scared the crap out of him that he was about to, I know I shouldn't say that, but I mean, I think he was scared to death that he was about to enter into a contract with the God who created the entire world, right? And I think Abraham realized the significance of this moment, right? And so it says that as darkness fell, and Abraham looked at what was about to take place. As he kind of awakened, he saw two things pass through the animals. 
he saw a flaming torch and a smoking fire pot. Both of these representing God. And it was as if God was saying, not only will I hold up my end of the bargain, but I will do for you what you will never be able to do on your own. And Abraham never himself had to walk through the animals and the blood. And it was as if God was saying, um, Abraham, if you will trust me, if you'll believe that what I'm saying is true, I will one day bring about a redemption that you will never be able to bring about on your own. So as the story goes, Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons, and one of them was, was Joseph. And Joseph was his father's favorite. And Joseph, as many of us know, was sold into slavery and finds himself in Egypt. He kind of rises to the top in Egypt, and he becomes this great leader in Egypt, but then the Egyptians forget about Joseph and his family. And they become slaves in a foreign land. And God is simply writing a longer, bigger story of redemption. They become slaves in this foreign land. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're made to, to make bricks and build buildings for the Pharaoh. And so God hears his children saying, God, remember us. Don't you remember the promise that you made us to give us our own land? And God hears their prayers. And he calls Moses to go to Pharaoh. And Moses doesn't want to go at first, but eventually Moses goes to Pharaoh. And he goes, Pharaoh, you've got to let my people go. This is from God. Let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, if I let your people go, nobody will build houses for me. I'm not going to let your people go. They are my slaves. And he says, listen, this is from God. Let his people go. Pharaoh will not let the people go. And so God gives his people some strange instructions. He says, I want you to go, and I want you to find a perfect, spotless lamb. And I want you to kill this lamb. And after you kill the lamb and the blood is spilled, I want you to take some of the blood and I want you to put it on the door frame of your house. Actually, take it and wipe it on the door frame of your home. And God knew that his people would remember the story of Abraham. God knew that his people would remember the covenant that he had made. And I wonder if his people knew that this was God's way to bring them salvation. They put the blood of the lamb on their door frame. And the next morning, there was a wailing in all of Egypt, the firstborn dead. And Pharaoh said, get out of my land. And God's people were finally set free. God had led them. And as they began to journey to their new land, their new home, uh, a practice began to emerge. And God called his people to do something that if you read the Old Testament... You read it and you think, this is really a strange practice where God's people were called to bring animals from the outside into the temple. And there in the temple, the animals would be killed. It was called a sacrificial system. The idea being that the animals were in some way replacing the people who were not living up to their end of the bargain. So this was tied back to the ancient covenant that God had made with Abraham. So there was this sacrificial system where every year, Year after year, people like us would bring an animal, and we would say, God, we have not lived up to our end of the bargain, and that animal would be slaughtered on our behalf. But it wasn't enough, because it wasn't a human life. Year after year, God's people would bring animals to be sacrificed for what they themselves couldn't do. Which brings us to Palm Sunday. 
today. So the first month in the Jewish calendar was a month that they would celebrate the Passover. And when they celebrated the Passover, they were celebrating the story of God's salvation for his people. Remember the story of Passover I just told you? So every year when they celebrated Passover, they were remembering the God who saved them from the Egyptians. On Palm Sunday, it was the tenth day of the first month. This was the day, traditionally, when thousands of people would converge on Jerusalem, looking forward to the Passover celebration, when they would remember God's salvation, his promise, his covenant. And on this day, on this Palm Sunday, each person, each family would choose a perfect, spotless lamb sacrifice. Uh, in our language, it was called Lamb Selection Day. Now, do you think it's a coincidence that it was Lamb Selection Day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey? Could it, could it have been the promise that God had made to Abraham thousands of year, years earlier was coming to completion in Jesus? That all of these years of sacrificing, of the blood being spilled, that was holding back God's fulfillment, his, his provision for us, that which we could not do on our own. Uh, John the Baptist was baptizing people. And he looks up and he sees Jesus in the distance coming, and he makes this statement. You've probably heard this before. John the Baptist says this, Look, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. It's like this whole story is all tied together with a string. It's like God, from the very beginning, wants us to know that he will do in our lives what we can never do. And so on Lamb Selection Day, on that Palm Sunday for the Jewish people, Jesus rides into town and they think he's their Messiah because he will overthrow Rome. But God says, no, no, he's the Messiah because he will fulfill the covenant. He will end the covenant that I made with Abraham years ago. Jesus, the first place he goes, if you read the New Testament stories, one of the very first places he goes is to the temple. And this is, uh, some of us who have anger issues, we love this part of Jesus, because he goes into the temple and he like turns over the tables. You know this story? And he like starts throwing things around and he kicks people out. We're like, ooh, I like that Jesus. I want him to come around. Um, Jesus does this. Do you know why he does this? you know why he turns over the tables in the temple? Because the people who were running these tables were taking advantage of the poor and the marginalized. And the trade rates that they were giving for lambs the money changing that was going on was benefiting the people who were selling things. In other words, these people were keeping the poorest of the poor away from God. And Jesus wanted none of that because he knew he had come to give everyone free access to God the Father. So Jesus, the temple, and all these different stories, and then Jesus, we're back to, we're back to Passover. Jesus sits at the Passover meal. And all of his disciples, because they were all Jewish, they all would have known that they were celebrating what God had done, the Israelites in Egypt, the salvation that they found. He knew that they would talk about the blood on the doorposts of the homes. 
that they would recount the story, that somebody would tell the story. And it was in this setting that Jesus would begin to give them a picture of what he was about to do on the cross. He was about to talk about the final sacrifice that he was willing to make on their behalf. Jesus, the spotless lamb, willing to lay down his life for you and me to do what we cannot do on our own. And Jesus takes the meal that was meant to remind them of the story before, the story of God's salvation. He redefined this meal in a way that would bring us into the story. He said, this is no longer just about the Jewish people, but this is about me and my death in a way that then opens the door for all people to experience God's grace and his love and his peace. This is God fulfilling his promise to Abraham. And the idea of the stars being so numerous that we can't even count them, we're a part of that story. Jesus takes a piece of bread, which was common on the table, and he breaks this bread, and he says, this is a symbol of my body, which is broken for you. And he gives it to his disciples, and he said, eat this. And, and they didn't really understand all that would take place, but he said, eat this, and understand that there's a new covenant. He, he took a cup of wine, and he passed it, and he said, this is a new covenant my blood. No longer the sacrificial system where you have to bring animals in, but this is, this is a new covenant in, in, in my blood that God makes with all people for the forgiveness of all people's sins. And in saying that, Jesus speaks into our brokenness and our weakness and our sin and our shame and our fear. He, he pulls us into this grand story that God's telling, and he's saying, now you are a part of the family because of what he has done. Now, it's a big story, right? But it's one that changes everything for us if we choose to believe. It all hinges, I mean, it happened. It all hinges on whether or not we choose to believe and step into this truth. See, the story of the cross and the death of Jesus it's not just about one frame or one scene in a story. It's about the whole of God's creation. It's, a, it's, a, it's about opening the door to all people for all times, you and me included. This morning, um, we, we felt like a great way to begin Easter week would be to take communion together. And so I want to welcome you to the table today. To the table that, that Jesus lays before and you don't need to be a member of this church to, to come to the table today to take communion. You need only to trust in Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are welcome at this table. If maybe you've never followed Christ or, or given him your life, yet today you see this big, grand story and you want to be a part, you can take communion with us. Be a part of the family that God has opened the door for. Uh, the elements are going to be passed by, by the ushers, and uh, there's, a, there's a piece of bread and a, a little cup of juice. And I would ask you just to hold those elements as Joe sings this song, uh, and we'll take communion together as a community. Joe's going to sing this song that uh, reminds us that we're no longer slaves, but rather we're children of God. We're no longer slaves to our sin. 
We're, we're no longer slaves to our brokenness, but we are children of God, sons and daughters. So ushers, come and, and serve the elements, and let's listen to this song together, and uh, just hold on to the elements, and we'll take it together in just a few.